Hello and welcome to Extra Innings, the Phillies podcast by the Philadelphia Inquirer, the Philadelphia Daily News, and Philly.com. I'm Matt Breen. I'm joined by Bob Brookover, Scott Lauber here in Clearwater, Florida. Bob, Scott, how are you guys doing today? Doing great, Matt. It's hard to say the name Bob Brookover, isn't it? <laughs> but it's great to be here. It's a beautiful day here in Florida overlooking the, the fields as the players come out on the field for the fifth time, I guess, this spring. Yeah, gorgeous day here. So how can we be doing anything but wonderful? That intro only took about 19 takes, so the one we just got was the best one we could do. So we're going to roll with that. Guys, like Bob said, we're overlooking the field here and the players are, are out there. I don't see Bryce Harper or Manny Machado. Maybe my eyes are mistaking me, but are they out there? Nope, I see Charlie Manuel, but no Bryce Harper. And Charlie's a heck of a left-handed hitter, though. Yeah, no Bryce Harper. I can confirm that. So... A lot of rumblings this week about Bryce Harper, and more Bryce Harper, I guess, than Manny Machado, been in the news cycle, and and uh, the San Francisco Giants are a team that seems to be the biggest competitor to the Phillies right now for Bryce Harper, but it probably would have to be on a short-term deal if he was to go to San Francisco. Scott, do, do you think that's likely, or, or would you expect Bryce Harper to be in the position to sign a short-term deal? No, I don't think so. I mean, we're talking about a player who, at the beginning of the offseason, or I guess I should say at the end of last season, turned down 10 years and $300 million from the from the Nationals to go back there. And I, I always looked at that deal as maybe his baseline. You know, I don't know if he's going to get 10 years, but he certainly wants that, that $30 million AAV or higher. And I think to accept a short-term deal at this point, you know, would be admitting sort of defeat for him and for Scott Boris. So I I don't think a short-term deal is, is what they're is what they're going to wind up doing. Even though we are sitting here already in February with spring training going on, I don't. I just don't see that happening. I think he's going to he's going to get closer to the deal that he wants. Uh, Bob, the first week of spring training was filled with press conferences and news conferences with uh, Andy McPhail, Matt Clintock, Gabe Kapler, and a lot of that. Those conferences, the subject was Bryce Harper, and Manny Machado. Was there anything in that? In those sessions that you took out that maybe gave a hint of where the Phillies stood? I don't think there really was, but I, I, I do my thing with the Phillies, I think they want one of them to sign almost want one of them to sign elsewhere and they will just take the other one and, and do maybe slightly more than what the deal is, just you know so maybe the, the two agents are just waiting to see, you know, if the other guy signs and they know they can go to the Phillies and and win this whatever ridiculous thing has been going on since the beginning of time. Um, but I, I really, you know, I still think the Phillies are going to get one of them. And I, I'm not sh- I, I still think they want Manny more than, than, than Bryce, but I'm, I'm not sure they care all that much to that, you know, that it would kill them either way to get they just want one or the other because they know if they get one or the other I mean for lack of a better term they've won the offseason and you know I don't think that's their goal but they will have won the offseason if they get one or the other do you do you hang a flag over Ashburn Alley for winning the offseason uh, yeah, I've, I've seen many flags that go over places the, the Mets have a, a lot of them over the years since I've been doing this and no no flags <laughs> Scott, uh, I think the um, your view coming in the spring training was that the Phillies preferred Manny Machado. Did you still, after the first week of camp, did you still feel that way? And what's your gut? Do the Phillies start the season with Machado or Harper on their roster? For most of the off season, I've thought that they prefer Machado to Harper, and now and I've and that lately I feel like I've sort of at least wavered on that, or maybe even 
moved over to the Harper side of things uh, in terms of who they prefer. But I don't know. The thing I took away from those first few days of camp uh, and the press conferences we heard, one was the last thing Andy McPhail said in his, which was, we're only half of this equation. And I think what he meant by that was, you know, we've, you know, the Phillies have put their best foot forward in terms of uh, trying to, to, to sweet talk both of these guys. And now, uh, on some level, they have to sit back and wait for Machado and Harper to make their decisions. And if, if either or both of them decide they just don't want to come here, you know, there's only so much the Phillies can do to, to get them to change their minds. And, and Matt Klintak said something similar to that, where I think he talked about, you know, feeling very comfortable in, in the pitch that they've made so far and, and feeling very happy with how the Phillies have presented themselves. And, I'm not saying that they're sitting back now and, and just, you know, with their with their hands over their heads, kind of waiting for the two players to make up their minds. I think the Phillies are still going to have something to say in terms of what their final, final, final offers to these guys are going to be. But, you know, there is that element of this, too, that if, if, if one or both of them doesn't want to come to Philadelphia, the Phillies can't force them to do it. You can't force them to take your money. You can only make the best offer you can maybe the best offer there is. And if they want to go somewhere else, they will. So that was my only takeaway, really, from what we heard, was that you know they feel like they've done their part, and now they're waiting for the players to make up their minds. Matt Klintak said that this would not be a failure of an offseason if the Phillies did not add either Manny Machado or Bryce Harper. And because of the moves that they made. And I agree, it wouldn't be a failure, because a failure would be is a pretty big word. And uh, you know they still had a good off season, uh, maybe even a very good off season without those two. But it would be a disappointment, no? I mean, maybe not failure, Bob, but if, certainly if you whiffed on these two guys that you've been looking at for more than a year, this would be this would definitely be a disappointment. I I would disagree and say it would be a failure if it, you can only declare the off season a success if this because this team has reached a point it needs to make the playoffs. Uh, Andy McPhail during his thing yesterday or, or earlier this week said, you know, we need uh, we our rebuild didn't begin till 2015 when they traded Cole Hamels. I disagree. It, it started earlier than that when they traded Jimmy Rollins. But even beyond that, you know, regardless, they have not had a winning season since 2011. Um, you know, so the fans don't really care about when their rebuild started. They just know that it's been long enough since they've made the postseason. And if they don't get one of those guys and they don't make the postseason while those guys are playing elsewhere, it's going to be viewed as a failure no matter what. This offseason is going to be viewed as a failure no matter what Andy McPhail and Matt Klintak say. And there, Gabe Kapler talked about this week about competitions in right field, center field, and third base. And it's it's hard to talk about competitions because the winners of those competitions might not be in camp yet with Bryce Harper and Manny Machado but just and imagine a world without Bryce Harper and Manny Machado do you really think there's a competition at third base and center field and right field or is it just because to me my takeaway was that it was really like a motivation motivational tactic by Gabe Kapler just to give you know you're in you're in Florida for five weeks so here he gave some reason for Scott Kingery and Roman Quinn to to be in camp for five weeks, knowing that even though their place is on the Phillies bench, but it's still they can act like they're going to compete for a starting role instead of just being like, oh, I'm, I'm a bench player and maybe, you know, 
n- not work as hard as they could if they were had this carrot in front of them. Scott, what what did you think of that? Oh, totally. And <clears throat> look, I think Odubel Herrera is the big name in that equation. I mean, we asked Gabe Kapler uh, the other day, point blank, you know, is Odubel Herrera your center fielder? And we're talking about a player who I think the Phillies have come to realize needs to be pushed a little harder than maybe most other players do. I don't think they want Odubel Herrera feeling comfortable whatsoever. And one way to push him is to tell him that he's competing for a job. But Bryce Harper or no Bryce Harper, Odubel Herrera is one of the few left-handed hitters in the lineup. And if he's not in the lineup every day as the center fielder, it's going to be an even more, uh, potentially even more of a right-handed kind of leaning lineup. So I don't, really see a way that he's not the center fielder on opening day just as I you know other than if Bryce Harper is here I don't see a way that Nick Williams is not in the lineup most days as a left-handed hitter as well uh I think Bryce Harper is the only part of that that would mean that Nick Williams is not in the lineup most days so I think they can call it especially in the outfield they can call it a competition all they want but it's going to be difficult given you know the players that are around those guys they're all right-handed hitters whether it's Hoskins or Segura or Real Muto, or um, uh, Andrew McCutcheon. I mean, all of these guys who are supposed to be supposed to be like lineup centerpieces all hit from the right side. So, what kind of competition, you know, can you possibly have? Um, you know, I think Roman Quinn as a switch hitter could factor into that. I certainly think that if Herrera has a slump like he did last year, that Quinn can take playing time from him. But you know, I have to think that just for lineup balance, Nick Williams and Odubel Herrera are in a pretty good spot to play almost every day uh, unless they give the Phillies a reason to go in another direction. But it doesn't hurt at all to have that carrot dangling in front of them, especially for a guy like Herrera to think, okay, I've, I've really got to put my foot on the pedal here and earn this job. I, it's, it's, to me, it's only smart to, to have them thinking that way. Scott, you wrote before spring training about Adubo Herrera's uh, off-season workout that in Miami and, and how he was almost reshaping his body after reporting the spring training last year out of shape and the Phillies had challenged him to come to camp better. He showed up to camp this week. Bob, what was your – it's hard to judge a guy if you know if he looks like he's in tip-top shape, but, but he looked in better shape, I would say, than we saw him for the first time last year. But also, not only how did he look, what do you think his outlook is? Is it, a, is it a, almost a positive that he's able to admit that he, he did lose focus last year, and that's something he needs to work on? You know, Adubo's been one of the more fascinating players in, on this team since he's got here. I mean, he's, he's, he's already exceeded the expectations of any Rule 5 draft you could ever have. I mean, he's, he's in the conversation, I think, with Shane Victorino for the best Rule 5 pick they've ever had, and the Phillies have had some good ones. They had Dave Hollins. Um, but him admitting he, he lacked focus, I, you know, I don't think we needed – Odubel to admit that it, it's it's visible. It's clearly visible that it happens sometimes. But I think people sometimes also forget that there's an immense talent there too. I mean, <laughs> the probably the greatest highlight of last season is him climbing that wall and going into the bushes in center field to going into the shrubbery and pulling the ball out. I mean, that to me was the biggest, best defensive highlight of the season. This is a guy with immense talent, and, and as Scott said, they need to motivate him, and that was their focus of, of this year. I've, I've always felt, and I asked Odubel this the other day, you know, did you miss Juan Samuel? Because Juan Samuel was a guy who, who, who pushed him. They brought Paco Figueroa in here to, to try to 
help him in that regard and hope you know hopefully for his sake and the Phillies sake that's what happens but uh, you know they need Odubel he's, he's right and I you know I don't think there's a great competition in center field I, I, I think Roman Quinn has a chance as Scott said to to forge his way in there the biggest thing for Roman is he has to stay healthy you know I think he's got a better chance to maybe take playing time away from Nick Williams um you know, one of the things I, I thought this week as I was thinking about the Bryce Harper and Manny Machado thing is you go back to the third base competition, which I don't think is much of a competition either because if neither one of those guys are here, Franco's either got to be the third baseman or you got to trade him because he doesn't really have all that much value as a bench player. If you get Bryce Harper, your bench is now Nick Williams, Roman Quinn, and Scott Kingery, and I think that's a really good bench, uh, better than when you, if you had Machado, you traded Franco and whoever you're going to fill in for that roster spot on Franco. I, I don't think that bench is going to be as good as the one you might have if you if you get Harper here and you have those other three guys I just talked about. That Oduwa Herrera catch was good in the shrubs, but do you remember what he said afterwards? I do not. He felt like Rambo. Uh. That was even better, I thought. Um. The Phillies had a real problem last year with making contact, and this this weekend in Clearwood are one of those contact hitters that best contact hitter in baseball last year, fifth highest contact rate, showed up in the clubhouse. And how much is Gene Segura gonna gonna help this lineup with with his just a simple ability to make contact, which is what this team struggled with so much last season? Yeah, I mean, it really stood out to me when we met Gene Segura that. Look, he brought up the contact thing on his own, the fact that he really prides himself on the ability to put the bat on the ball and make contact. And he was, I think you said, the fifth highest contact rate in the majors last year. Um, the Phillies had the fewest hits in the majors last year. And so, you know, they have a lot of players like Cesar Hernandez um, who are very good at lo- working a long at bat or seeing a lot of pitches, uh, making a pitcher work. But at the end of a lot of those long at bats, they they either weren't on base, you know, via walk, or they were they were striking out. And I think that, you know, while Gene Segura probably doesn't see as many pitches as a Reese Hoskins or a Cesar Hernandez, he he makes contact more than those guys do. And so, you know, I I think for me that's the most important part of. Of, of having him here is that he's a different sort of hitter than most of the other hitters in their lineup and he gives them something that they desperately need which is somebody who puts the ball in play and you know whether he hits third um, I think that seems like a probably a pretty safe spot for him in the lineup to think maybe second or third um, you know that's the sort of hitter that they need and the idea that that he thinks that way um, that that you know, he goes up to the plate looking to make contact, not necessarily looking to have an eight or nine pitch at bat. You know, I think that's tremendous, uh, a tremendous addition, because like I said, it's different from the approach that most of these other hitters take. And I think he's also long enough now in his career where uh, if that's his mentality and that's his approach, you're not going to change him. And I don't think the Phillies want to change him. I think they want him to be that aggressive guy who's going to put the ball on the bat on the ball, like I said, maybe move a runner every now and then, uh, make things happen, because if you're striking out at the end of these long at-bats, you're not really giving yourself much of a chance. And so I think that, uh, you know, I think that that's kind of what, what he brings, and that's a very important thing, because, like I said, completely different from everyone else they have. 
I'd, I'd almost like to see Segura hit first. And I was surprised that when we asked uh, Gabe Kapler about this the other, the other the other day that he didn't really mention Segura as a leadoff hitter. He leaned more towards Cesar as a leadoff hitter, which he did did a good job for a lot of the season. And as you talked about, he's an on-base guy. But Segura is, is maybe a better stolen base guy than him. And he's also a, a better gap power guy who's going to make contact. To me, Gene Segura is almost like a... Uh, Jimmy Rollins type leadoff hitter, which in, we know how that worked out for the Phillies for many years. I, I would almost like to see him hit in the number one hole, but we'll see, see where he is. And then put Caesar in that nine hole he likes to have. Then you have your two leadoff hitters that you always talk about. And I can't believe I'm saying, because I never would have believed I thought the pitcher hitting ninth was a good idea. But if, if, if you're going to hit, do it. I would, Caesar is the guy I'd like to see in that spot. I think that possibly could be what happens because it seemed like yesterday he wasn't that committal to Cesar batting leadoff Gabe said uh, he's going to give Cesar a shot batting leadoff and to me was this like another competition I don't know how many competitions the Phillies can have in camp but I I mean it it seems like Andrew McCutcheon might be his choice at leadoff but Gene Segura would be I agree with you Bob I think that would be a smart move to have a guy that's going to Get on, get, use his contact like Scott talked to get on base, and um, it, it's a, it's going to be interesting. I, I don't know, I can't even picture what the lineup's going to look like because again, it it really matters of if they land one of these superstars. All this, it's so tough to talk about this team, even though the season is almost a month away, because you really don't know what it's going to look like. And yeah, I think you know, I think it's interesting. I think it's just the difference between managing now and managing maybe five years ago. I think if we were standing right now around the batting cage with Charlie Manuel just kinda just kinda talking, my suspicion is that Charlie would agree with you that, you know, Gene Segura looks a lot like a leadoff hitter, you know, a guy with speed, a guy who, who puts the bat on the ball, makes things happen with his speed. Um, I don't know that a lot of new managers and Gabe Kapler's not the only one, Alex Cora in Boston Aaron Boone in New York. I think a lot of managers look now at a guy like Segura as more like a three-hole hitter, and a guy like McCutcheon or you know or or Cesar as a as a leadoff guy, given that they see so many pitches and you know work along at bat. I, I just think you know it's sort of the way the game's gone, like how we talk about how the number two spot in the lineup has changed. I mean, Mike Trout hits second now, and Aaron Judge bats second, and these are not guys we would have thought of as two hitters back when Charlie was managing, and I'm sure Charlie doesn't think of those guys necessarily as two, two-hole hitters. So it's just how you look at it, and I think today's today's manager, and Gabe Kapler certainly falls into the category of a modern manager, looks at a guy like Gene Segura and sees him more as kind of a contact guy in the three-hole than, than a leadoff guy, which is kind of weird. It's a different way of looking at the game. I guess the, the more important one is who's batting second and who's batting fourth, and that's what Gabe says is his two most important spots in the lineup, and we know four is Reese Hoskins and two might not be in a Phillies uniform yet. Speaking of Charlie, Charlie Emanuel is actually standing around the batting cage right now. Like, Scott, when, when you said that, I thought you were just hypothetically saying that. Oh, no, he's there. Then I put my I'm head up, at him. and he's you know, 40 feet in front of me standing around the batting cage talking. There's, so. there's nobody in the batting cage, but it's a comfortable place for Charlie anyway. Yeah. At least he's having a conversation and he's not just standing there by himself. <laughs> he is talking to somebody. So um, the first week of spring training also brought Aaron Nola's contract extension. He avoided going to arbitration the day he was supposed to go to arbitration or the day before he was going to go to arbitration. He settled the day he was supposed to be in arbitration. He had a news conference. Bob, how... How beneficial was that for the Phillies to 
not only lock up their homegrown ace, but to get him on such a club fr- a fr- friendly deal and and not go to arbitration with him. Well, one of the interesting things, and and John Middleton hasn't said much, but I was just standing there with him as as Noel was coming out on the field the other day, and he you know he basically said, you know what I like best about this is JT Ramuto is is watching this because he's watching that. We want our players, uh, and we want to be good for a long time. So, you know, there's that part of it, the influence of that. And, yes, it's certainly it's a team-friendly deal as you look at it right now and you base it on what he did last year. But everybody always forgets that you can't be positive that it's a team-friendly deal until the deal's over because you don't know what's going to happen to a guy in the, in the long run. But, you know, I would have certainly done the deal if I was the Phillies. And, you know, some other agents have have criticized uh, Noel's agent and Noel for taking this deal, saying they could have gotten a lot more. And, that, you know, and at a time when this the the climate of this whole thing is such in such turmoil. But to me, you know what, if if Aaron Nola and Aaron Nola's family is comfortable with the deal that the Phillies offered, you know, $45 million, you can probably do the same thing with $45 million that you can do with $75 million. You know, I, maybe there's some other things you can do with $75 million, but if you want to give me $45 million, I'll I'll take it and we'll, I'll live nice and comfortably for the rest of my life and I'll do no more podcasts ever. <laughs> Forty-five million dollars—that could last like a couple of years, right? Couple of years. Scott, you you talked a lot to Nola's agent. Kind of walk us through with how this deal uh, happened and kind of came about. We would still have you on as a guest every now and then, though. You'd have to pay. You might have to pay us a little bit, but we'd have you on. <laughs> you know, I think it was—and a pun here is fully intended. I think it was just totally a sign of the times. I mean, Louis Severino with the Yankees just did a four for 40, four years, 40 million in really the same spot as Nola was in. And I think you're going to see more and more players who are either, at, you know, in arbitration or approaching arbitration who are going to decide to go ahead and do this because, you know, you look out at the, at the landscape and you see uh, so many free agents that are, that are still unsigned and we're in spring training and it's not a one-off. This happened last off season too. I know Andy McPhail, I think one of the more interesting things Andy McPhail said the other day was that, you know, he did the math and um, something like 35 players, he said, signed for a total of $543 million from February 15th to opening day. So players might be getting their money, but they're waiting longer and longer and longer to get it. And a lot of players aren't getting what they set out to get. You can't tell me that when the offseason began last year, that Jake Arrieta was gonna was gonna say yes to three for seventy five and call it a day. I think he wanted you know four or five years, uh, maybe even longer than that, you know. And, and he wound up getting the three for seventy five with the Phillies on March eleventh. And I think a lot of players are looking out at the landscape and they're going, I don't want to put myself through that. Why do I want to? You know, it used to be you'd look forward to free agency, and now it, it sort of seems like something a lot of players are looking at with dread, or at least with with uncertainty. Like, am I going to get what I want? And if I'm happy where I am, and Nola says he's happy here, why not just go for some security now? He's going to be 29 or 30, right, when he would be eligible for free agency. So he kicks it down the road a year or two, and... He'll still be young enough to go out on the market, and with a new CBA at that point, maybe the conditions are a little friendlier to players, uh, to, to free agents, 
and maybe he can go out and get a, another deal that's bigger than this one, either from the Phillies or somewhere else. So, you know, I just think a lot of players who are approaching, you know, who are still two or three years away from free agency are looking at what free agents are, are, are going through, and they're saying, you know what, let me get some, some big money now, let me take care of my family now, and I'll still have a chance to go back on that market later in my career when maybe there's a little less anxiety associated with it. So, you know, not to sit here and say that, you know, free agents aren't still getting their money. They are. And Bryce Harper and Manny Machado are going to get very, 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 very rich in the next few weeks, no matter where they sign. But it just doesn't seem like it's such a friendly environment anymore for players to be in. And I think what Nola did, what Severino did, what you're going to see more and more players do is, is opt for the money now and kick free agency down the road and worry about that later. So the Phillies' number one pitcher was in the news for uh, you know a positive that he was getting his money, but the number two pitcher came to light that he had knee surgery sh- shortly before spring training, and then we found out the next day that Jake Arrieta ha- suffered this knee injury sometime around May or June of last year, and he, he pitched through it all season. And if you look at the numbers, he had his fir- second half compared to his first half totally different, and. But more and more, I looked at his the movement on his pitches and the velocity of his pitches. His movement and velo both dropped dramatically in the second half when this knee injury he said occurred. So it, it kind of does line up because if you have a torn cartilage in your knee, your your pitches aren't going to move. They're not going to be as fast. I, I would presume. I've never thrown a major league baseball, but but I would presume that that would be the the cause, the effect of that. And it, I, I was already optimistic about Jake Arrieta just because we talked about this before that he would have a full spring training he didn't have a spring training at all last year really he came in in the middle of March but now you at least have a reason for why he wasn't that good in the second half of last year but do you also have a cause for concern Bob that you know he's 31 years old now 32 is he is he also not able to stay healthy the thing I thought about more is it more is as I thought about what he said and what happened, I wish he had gone to somebody and said, "Hey, my knee's bothering me," you know, because the off season it was it was not that long ago that he had the surgery. It got cleaned up, and he says he feels great now. I wish he, if he had done it in June, had said, "Hey, this is bothering me." get it done and maybe in august and september if, if if he's right and he's feeling that good that you know he would have been a better pitcher so i you know if if those circumstances come about again i w- wish he would go to a trainer you know gabe was asked about that and he said you know well he guys are you know are tough and they want to you know want to pitch through pain and you got to respect that you know i i guess i guess you do for the Phillies, if this is a better, I mean, Gabe or uh, Jake Arrieta was really, really good for for four months last year. Much like the Phillies were very good for four months, uh, and that's the pitcher they have to have. That's the pitcher they paid the big money for. And, you know, all this other stuff, the Bryce Harpers, the Manny Machados, we can talk about all they want. If, if Jake Arrieta can pitch like that, and you have him and Noah at the top of your rotation pitching the way they did for the first four months for six months, then the Phillies have a chance. And they, you know, regardless of what else they do, they have a chance if that's the case. Scott, we watched Arietta throw off a mound this week. He he seems healthy. He said he's healthy. We really won't know until until the game start and you see him pitching live action against hitters. But we're almost a month away from the season. 
What does your gut tell you? Do we see Jake Arrieta ready to start the season? I think so, because I think it helps that they have three off days in the first eight days of the season. So, you know, I don't know that he'll pitch game two um, after Aaron Nola, but I, I do think he'll make his first start. Now, you know, does that mean that Nola gets a second start before Arietta gets his first? You know, with the off days, you can certainly do that. Uh, so I, I do think that's going to help him be ready. Having said that, I've been a guy all offseason who's felt like they are a pitcher short or that, they're, that their rotation could use some help. And I, I think after, you know, look, they, they really, really worked hard to try to get Patrick Corbin. They, they brought him in for a visit. They put his face on the scoreboard, all of that stuff. And, you know, he got a deal from the Nationals that I wouldn't have given him either. Uh, guaranteeing him a sixth year was a little bit ludicrous, but the Nationals felt like they had to do that. They did it. They won the bidding. Uh, the Phillies, I think, were had some interest in Jay Happ, but even that, I'm not sure how strong that interest was. And then after that, you know, whether it was Wade Miley or Gio Gonzalez or anyone else that was out there on the free agent market, the Phillies were kind of like, nah, no thanks. You know, we don't really see those guys as a big upgrade over what we already have. And, you know, now that we know that Jake Arrieta um, had a knee procedure uh, in January and you know, I think you have to wonder uh, whether he's going to last the whole season or hold up the whole season. I think it's fair to wonder that now. Um, you know, w- may- Dallas Keuchel is still available. Um, you know, would it be in their best interest to go out and try to get a guy like that on maybe a short, really short-term deal if, if he's willing to go short now? Um, you know, that might be something they need to think about a little bit harder or that they need to do. So, you know, I think Arietta is going to be ready to start the season, but, you know, I... I just think that, you know, they. I felt like they were a pitcher short. Now I really feel like they might be a pitcher short. And I think there are still some guys out there who might be able to help in that area. There is a quote, Scott, um, during the offseason from Mike Rizzo that starting pitching is king. And uh, that, that quote is fascinating to me because I'm not sure the Phillies really – are in line with they believe the starting pitching is king, and, and not just the Phillies, other teams as we we talk about the the modern age of baseball. I think a lot of teams and managers and general managers are starting to think relief pitching is king, uh, and if, if the Phillies don't go and get another pitcher, it'll be, it'll be interesting to see at least for this season who's right, starting pitching king, because you you, you can't even compare the Phillies rotation to what the the Mets and the and especially the Nationals have right now. Those those two teams definitely have better starting pitching, uh, and and I, but I, I I might argue that the 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 Phillies have better relief pitching than any team in the division at this point. The Mets certainly bolstered their bullpen too by getting familiar back and. Uh, getting Diaz in a trade with the with, with the Mariners, or, yeah, with the Mariners. Uh, so it, it'll be interesting to see which pitching is king this season. Well, you know what's interesting too is that if they don't go out and fortify their rotation, right? If if they don't go get a Keuchel or they don't go get like a Gio Gonzalez, he hasn't signed yet, has he? Nope. Um, <laughs> then then you know if something should happen at the back of their rotation, if if, if Zach Eflin is not the pitcher he was for a good part of last year and he's struggling and maybe Eikhoff's, you know, dealing with some things and or if they have an injury in that rotation, you wonder how long it would take before they would consider doing the opener thing, which worked in so many other places last year. We know they talked about it last year. They never thought that it was something that made sense for them. But, 
Maybe it makes sense for them at some point this year. I don't think it would surprise anybody to see the Phillies use an opener at some point this season. Maybe that's why Aaron Nola didn't want to go to arbitration. Next, talking about next year, if he was going to be an opener this year and not have as many starts, he probably would have lost his arbitration case. I'm just kidding. But anyway, um, there was no shortage of news this week. In the first week of Philly spring training, the second week, maybe it brings Bryce Harper, Manny Machado, maybe it brings Dallas Keuchel. We don't know, but we will be back for a second week of extra innings. Thanks a lot for listening. Have a good week. <laughs>